0: I'm no Fred Astaire or Michael Jackson, but I'm aware there are many styles of dancing that include ballet, ballroom, jazz, hip-hop, modern, swing, country and western, folk, Latin, and belly dancing. They each have their own unique moves to master. There's another one called the marriage dance. According to Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage dance is a beautiful choreography where a husband leads and loves his wife, and the wife respects her husband. Is your marriage more like a wieldy waltz or a sassy salsa? Have you been stepping on each other's toes for too long? Maybe it's time to learn some new dance moves or remember the old ones you never quite mastered. I'm Ron Jones. Something good for your marriage starts right now.
1: What can dancing teach us about godly marriage? Find out next on this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Today, Ron paints a beautiful picture of biblical marriage and he takes us to a Texas dance floor to do it. Stay right here as he continues his teaching series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than, or visit somethinggoodradio.org and listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Christ in the Home and Work.
0: We were engaged and I don't know, just a month or two into our engagement when we went out dancing with some friends in Dallas and we were gonna go kicker dancing. And I'd get out there on the floor and got all these cowboys and cowgirls twirling and swirling around me. and. And uh, my wife looks, or my fiance at the time looks at me and says, "Just, just follow the beat. Can you hear the beat? And I said, what beat? And here we are standing right next to the woofer. You know, I mean, just, can you not hear the beat? No, I can't. I'm stepping all over her toes. She got frustrated. She says, let's go sit down. And we went and sat down. I must have turned this way. The next thing I know, I look around. She's twirling around the dance floor with some other guy, one of my friends. And the worst of it, she looked like she was having fun and I wasn't. We almost didn't continue the engagement. No, it wasn't that bad, but I'm not a very good dancer. I I understand dancing intellectually, all right? And here's what I know. Yeah, you gotta follow the beat, but the other thing I know is that somebody has to lead and somebody has to follow. Whether you're ballroom dancing or you're kicker dancing, somebody has to lead, somebody has to follow. But when it's done well, When there's this seamless choreography on the dance floor, you can't tell who's leading and who's following because they're just one. They're so seamlessly in step with one another. That's the marriage dance. That's the picture of, of New Testament marriage where the husband plays his cameo role in this gospel drama. The wife plays her cameo role. There's no loss of equality. There's no inferiority and superiority in the relationship. are just different roles to play because the gospel is at stake here, friends. You want to know why the church needs to stand strong on Christian marriage? It's a gospel issue. It's going all the way back to creation where God gave us a picture. He gave us a drama called marriage. And the devil knows it's a gospel matter, that's why he attacks it in every generation. He didn't want the gospel to get out. He didn't want the bride of Christ to understand Christ and all of that. And here we are. So your marriage is a mystery, your marriage is a gospel presentation, your marriage is not primarily about your personal happiness. I gotta move on to the second sphere. They're related to one another, the sphere between husbands and wives, and now the second one, parents and children. Keep in mind the subordination ethic as we read on in verse 20, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now again, Paul's giving a Cliff Notes version of what he expands on in his letter to the uh, Ephesians. But I just want you to circle that word obey Children, obey your parents in everything. Now, obviously, Paul's not talking about if they tell you to do something immoral or unethical or illegal, but in uh, every sense of a good home, do what your parents tell you to do. The first place children learn to respect divine authority, in other words, to obey God, Is in the home. Parents, it's on us to raise our kids to obey. To obey, to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and do what he says. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just that simple, all right? So obedience, as much as submission to authority, are two very important characteristics in the Christian life. And where does a child learn respect, not only for divine authority, but any legitimate authority in society? I'm not talking about people who abuse their authority. I'm talking about legitimate people who have been given You know, God established authority or legitimate authority in our culture, and we're all under someone's authority. If you have any doubts about that, the next time the policeman pulls you over for some traffic violation, try mouthing back to him or her. Doesn't work. He's got the badge, she's got the badge, all of that, got the little ticket thing. You know, you just submit to their authority. Yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, right? You can go fight it in the court if you want to but not in a disrespectful way. You can't walk into a court of law and be disrespectful to the judge. But here's what happens. When parents don't teach children to obey and to respect authority in the home, they raise kids who are the next generation of anarchists. And we have have not a respect for authority in our culture today. We have anarchy in our culture. People who don't respect police officers and coaches and teachers and... Uh, you know, government, legitimate government authorities, even pastors and leaders in the church. There's this suspicion built in that anybody who is in leadership or authority, no, I'm going to fight that. I'm going to resist that. That is not a godly characteristic. But it's our responsibility as parents to teach our kids. And here's how, here's how it won't work. If you try to be your parents' best or your children's best friend, you won't raise kids who respect authority. Don't be harsh with them. Uh, Raise them with uh, uh, the the rightful ways to instill discipline and boundaries and rules and in a way that when you say, because I said so, they say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Plenty of opportunities to sit down and explain the rationale. But children need to learn just to be good citizens in society that you're in charge. You're their parents. Now, my kids are, um, you know, college and post-college now. My youngest just, you know, went off to her senior year in college today. And, um, you know, we, 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 we do have a friendship relationship with our kids now as you get a little bit older. But we didn't try to be their best friends when they were little kids. That's when you need to be a parent. Lovingly establish those boundaries lovingly discipline your child so that they learn to respect mom and dad they'll have a better chance of respecting the lord when the lord says because i said so okay
1: we'll return to something good with dr ron jones in just a moment to listen to any of ron's messages on demand Stop by somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to access the Something Good Digital Library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. That's our Something Good Digital Library at somethinggoodradio.org.
0: The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66 from Chicago, Illinois to Santa Monica, California. Get
1: your kicks on Route 66.
0: Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the Biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The
1: Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, is now available. For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The digital library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 eBooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible is a welcome addition to any home library. Pastor, as you look back on your 66 messages through the Bible, what has been most impactful about the experience? And what are you hoping our listeners will get from the book?
0: Brian, one of the most impactful things for me was to experience the grace of God energizing and equipping me to hammer out the project. Uh, My relationship with the Lord has grown even more intimate from having persevered to the end. One of the things I hoped to accomplish was to show people how the whole of God's Word hangs together and to do it without writing endless volumes of commentary. So this uh, abbreviated resource, called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is a companion to the Bible and offers the reader a bit of a, a bird's eye view of the major themes of each book, showing how all 66 books of the Bible fit together to produce a unified work of the Holy Spirit. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org to request the
1: ultimate road trip through the Bible, volume one, Old Testament for your gift of $30 or more. Give over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to PO Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. With the second half of today's message, Christ in the home and work, Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: Of course, Paul balances this by saying, fathers, do not provoke your children. The Parallel passage in Ephesians says, provoke them to anger lest they become discouraged. Why does he address fathers here? Because in, in the home, the father is primarily responsible for the parents or for the children. Uh, you do this together as mom and dad and husband and wife, but the primary responsibility falls at the feet of the fathers, okay. Do not provoke your children to anger. It's not hard to picture a mom and a dad coming into a pastor's office and saying, Pastor, we're having troubles with one of our kids. They just seem angry. Maybe it's an explosive fit of anger. Uh, Thumos in the Greek New Testament, or maybe it's orge, uh, that kind of anger that is pushed deep down and they're just angry. Lou Prioli wrote a book years ago published by, I believe, Focus on the Family called The Heart of Anger and it had a picture of a little boy who was just stewing in anger on the front. And the author identified about 25 ways in which parents can sow the seeds of anger in their kids. (laughs) You know, I won't go into all of that, but fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Yeah, you know, teach them to obey, teach them to respect your authority, teach them to understand that when you say, because I said so, it means something, but don't go over the edge on that to where you're sowing seeds of anger. And that's the art of parenting, is it not? And we're not taking our cues from the culture on how to parent, let alone how to be married. We're taking our cues from Christ and from creation and from the church and so forth. Let me move on to the third sphere. This one I would just identify as employers and employees, although Paul is identifying a particular relationship uh, related to um, the Roman slave culture, bond servants and slaves and masters. His primary point here is not to um, take on the institution of slavery. He could have done that very easily. Uh, But what he does is he he acknowledges that some are in very difficult relationships here. And how does a Christ-like person, you know, uh, deal with a situation like that? You may be in a situation with your employer where you are working for an absolute jerk. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus Christ to work in an environment like that? Uh, listen to these words. He says, bondservants, servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, don't just work hard when the boss is watching you. Anybody can do that. You know, I've always worked in an environment where I have a lot of autonomy, Uh, but the day of accountability comes, you know, when the reports and the numbers and so forth. I can always tell staff, other places, whether somebody's doing their job, they have a lot of autonomy. Even in ministry, it's not a nine to five kind of thing. Hours are fluid, but you can tell whether the results are there. You can tell whether somebody's been working hard and getting after it. Not just when the boss shows up, you know. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul spends more time on this sphere of relationships than he does the others. Some people think that he has the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus in mind, because Onesimus was a member of the church in Colossae, and he was a runaway slave or bondservant from a guy named Philemon. And read the letter to Philemon and see how Paul... You know, men's a relationship there because Onesimus came to faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul addresses what might be a very difficult working relationship, and he provides three motivations for the worker that are linked to the character of God. First, relating to God's sovereignty. He says, um, obey in everything with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, Uh, Fear here is is, is respect for. A person who has respect for the Lord will respect those other people who are also in authority to them. He also says in the end of verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. You want to change your attitude in a nanosecond tomorrow when you go to work? Think of yourself as Jesus Christ is my boss. I I am working to hear, well done, good and faithful servant one day, even though my boss, a person who's in authority over me, is a class A jerk, okay? Sovereignty of God. Secondly, our eternal rewards, he says, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive uh, that um, benefit in, in, in the sales incentive program that the company laid out for you. No. No. That's not where Paul's focus is. And you know that because he's already said, set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. He says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He's talking about eternal rewards here. Is it possible that there is an eternal reward waiting for somebody who maybe finds themselves in a very difficult working relationship, but because of the way they respond to it, they they demonstrate the grace of Jesus Christ through their good work ethic, unlike other people. I I think Paul's implying that here. And then he appeals to the justice of God, verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there's no partiality. You want to get back at that boss of yours that's treating you so poorly? The Lord says, vengeance is mine. Let me take care of it and I will. You, You just make Christ your life and remain as godly in your response and in your work ethic as you can, I will right all the wrongs in my time, including the wrongs of slavery, okay? As, as egregious as that thought is in all the cultures of the world that we know about, including our own American history, there's a way to rise above that and have an eternal perspective and know that the God of the universe who is the final judge of the universe, will right all the wrongs, okay? Fight for justice, absolutely, all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, when you're powerless to do so, you entrust that to the Lord. Christ in the home, in our marriages, in our work relationships, I mean, who would have ever thought that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is as practical as what Paul is talking about here? But you got to think theologically. But everything in our world today is culture, culture, culture. And if we're not careful, it creeps even into the church and the body of Christ. And we begin to look more like the culture than Christ and creation and the church that God intended for us.
1: Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Christ in the Home and Work. Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, I have to say, I really love that dance metaphor. Truly a great picture of how different roles in a relationship work together to make that relationship better than it could be otherwise. As we wrap up today's program, is there anything else you'd like to add to the idea of building healthy marriages?
0: There certainly is, Brian. Now, some of you listening today may have heard this before, but it's always good to be reminded. I call it the love triangle, only in this case, it's a good thing, and I want to make sure everybody understands that. Now, think of a normal triangle, an equilateral triangle, where all sides are the same length and all the angles are exactly 60 degrees. Now, at the top of the triangle, write the word God. On the bottom left, write the word husband. And on the bottom right, write the word wife. You see that picture? Okay, here's the beautiful thing about God's design for marriage. When both people are trying to get closer to God and encouraging one another to get closer to God, they automatically begin to draw closer to one another. The gap between them decreases as they rise towards God. Now, this is the only way marriage can work as God intended. If we try to limit ourselves to getting closer to one another, or if we attempt to force or coerce the other person to meet our demands and draw closer to us, then we're not moving any closer to God. It's only when we seek Him first, only when we submit to His Lordship, that we can get a closer, more intimate marriage life thrown in. Now, I realize people want happy marriages, but as hard as this may be to hear, happiness is not the primary purpose of marriage. And besides, it's not your husband's job or your wife's job to make you happy. God alone is the source of joy, not your spouse. Now, I'm running short on time, Brian, so let me close with this. Marriage was designed primarily to make you holy, not happy. But the great news is the more you strive to draw close to God, the more you strive for holiness, the happier you will be and the happier your marriage will be. That's a great illustration,
1: Ron. Thanks so much for those final thoughts from today's message, Christ in the Home and Work. Coming your way tomorrow, Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than. What can you tell us about your next message, Ron, as we move ahead in our journey through the book of Colossians?
0: You know, Brian, the Apostle Paul has something of a formula to all of his epistles, orthodoxy on the front end and orthopraxy on the back end. In other words, he tells you what to believe and then shows you how to behave in light of that belief system. And the book of Colossians is no different. So for the next two days, I'll be wrapping up this series on Colossians with some very practical applications. We'll talk about how to walk in wisdom, in our earthly relationships, how to be graceful and hospitable, how to season our speech with salt, not just to our friends and loved ones, but even to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed next time, right here on Something Good Radio. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares
1: his message, faith, relationships, and hospitality. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.